Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The Whole Tooth, a podcast all about sharks, rays and their underwater habitat brought to you by the Save Our Seas Foundation. I'm your host Isla and every episode I sit down with experts in marine science and conservation to ask them your brilliant questions. Today we are talking about the often negative perceptions we have of sharks and how we can flip that narrative to promote awe and respect for these very misunderstood animals who actually need our protection. I cannot think of anyone better to speak on this topic than our guest today. He is an explorer, an adventurer, he's done expeditions for the likes of National Geographic, and he is a world-renowned TV presenter for Natural History. You might know him from programs like Deadly 60, Expedition Alaska, and most recently, Shark on Sky. I am, of course, talking about the one and only Steve Backshall. Steve has dedicated his life to changing perceptions about some of the world's most misunderstood creatures and promoting joy and wonder about these animals rather than fear and misunderstanding. He is particularly passionate about sharks and has more than 30 years of experience encountering them in the wild. His new series, Shark with Steve Backshall, aims to flip the narrative and showcase just how amazing sharks really are, which is something that we're extremely passionate about on this podcast. In this episode, we discuss common misconceptions about sharks, overcoming fear, and the critical role of the media in shaping public perception and also promoting shark conservation. And, of course, we relive some of Steve's most memorable wildlife encounters. We also put out a call on social media for your questions to Steve and he answers all of them in this podcast. So if you pitched a question, stay tuned for your answer. I'm so excited for you to hear this episode. So I'm going to stop rambling on and without further ado, let's dive in. What a rousing intro that was. My, I, I feel inspired myself. That's right. You should be my agent. <laughs> well, that's my job. It's much better than the one that we had just discussed a couple of seconds before we started recording this podcast. Um, but yes, I just wanted to mention as well, you have one of the best backgrounds. Our listeners can't see this at the moment, but you have one of the best backgrounds that we've had yet on the whole tooth. So can you please explain to our listeners where you are sitting right now? So we live Thames side. Um, right now, Helen, my wife, is inside with all three kids who are all three or under. Therefore, being in the house is not an option. So I am instead sat by the river <laughs> on a, a day that has to be seen to be believed. It's one of those winter one in a millions where you've got blue skies and sunshine, not a breath of wind. There are uh, black-headed gulls flying behind me. We'll have kingfishers at some point. And on the dock behind me, uh, there is a whole bunch of otter spraint. So every single night I have the camera trap out here trying to catch a glimpse. I haven't quite managed it yet, but I will. Wow. Oh, what a background. And people might be able to hear it as well. They might, I thought people might wonder why there was birdsong in the background. Um, if we do see a kingfisher... We're going to have to really shout about it and describe it for our audience because this is obviously, you know, an audio medium. But yeah, fantastic background. So we are going to jump right in. So Steve, you have 30 years of experience encountering 
all different species of marine life, including sharks from, you know, all across the world. And we're going to jump right in with some questions about those encounters. So my first question, you've probably had this question a million times before, uh, but we do like to ask every single guest because I love to see their face light up when we ask this question. So what is your most memorable experience in the ocean? Oh, wow. How long have you got? Um, can I do it not on sharks? Does it have to be sharks? No, of course. Of course you can do it not on sharks. Yeah. My most memorable experience in the ocean was diving with sperm whales off the coast of Dominica and having a female sperm whale with a tiny calf. When I say tiny, that's, you know, in, in cetacean scale. So it was about the size of a cow, but it was no more than weeks old. And she was clearly introducing it to its first ever humans. She would repeatedly steer it towards us underwater. Every single time their head turned towards us, you'd be able to feel every single bit of their, their ultrasound re resonating through every airspace in your body. And we danced an aquatic ballet together, which lasted for hours. And every single time I dived beneath the surface, she would dive too. I was somersaulting, she would somersault. I would turn around on my axis, so would she. And it was quite clear that she and her calf were both relishing every single second of an interspecies um, dance that was truly mind-blowing. And even now, I mean, that was a good 10 years ago now, and even, even now, just even thinking about it puts the hackles up on the back of my neck. Oh, wow. I knew I was going to be jealous from whatever it was that you said there. Um, but I can't imagine doing ballet with a humpback whale and her calf as well. And... What a special experience to know that she was basically showing you to the calf and kind of being like, you know, this guy is all right. We're going to have some fun with him. Yeah, I think any any time when, uh, you know, inevitably it's it's a mammal, but any time that an animal wants to interact with you, a wild animal seeks out your company for, for, for any reason, it's something special. And all of the moments that I would love to bottle and keep from my career have been exactly those situations when you're not... 200 meters away looking down a, a long lens or jumping into a bush to catch a hold of a snake or spider but instead you know interacting with an animal on their terms they want the encounter that's something that you you just I find it quite hard to put into words how, how special those moments are yeah absolutely um such a beautiful experience when they decide that you're okay and they're going to interact with you. Um, so my next question is is kind of still on the encounters theme, um, but that is, what is an unexpected encounter that you've had in the ocean? So maybe one that surprised you or slightly different from how you would expect it to be? Well, I think my first ever dive with blue sharks was my most surprising. I say dive, it was a free dive, but we have this, this impression of sharks, which the majority of this podcast is going to be about. And it, it's one of a, at very best, dead-eyed swimming fish. At very worst, a malevolent monster that is out to get you. But I had an encounter with a blue shark um, that was tactile, that was looking for physical um, contact, and not in an aggressive way, but in a way where it was clearly enjoying stimulation of the snout for you know for you know, obvious biological reasons. But this big man, he was huge for a blue shark, double the size of pretty much any other I've seen. 
stuck with us for a good 45 minutes and it would swim around in circles, avoiding the bait in the water to be able to put its snout into my hand and just gently rub its snout against the palm of my hand and, and its eyes would roll back and eventually it would put itself into tonic mobility. And extraordinary, and most extraordinary, I think, because you're looking at an animal that people consider to be, you know, something that has no character, has no personality. And over and over again, you see that individual sharks can be as individual in terms of their personality as, as humans can. And that was a, a really, a really, uh, a transformative experience if nothing more than the blue shark is the most heavily fished of all species of sharks. And you just know that a single trawler, could, a long liner could come through that area and take every single one of those blues, blues in one single catch. And yet you've seen them interacting with you in a way that you would only really expect a seal or a dolphin to do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, even with marine mammals, I mean, that sounds like an experience you'd more expect to have with a seal that, you know, rather than a shark, but yeah. And I do wonder, we're going to talk about this all the way through this, this episode, but I do wonder, you know, if, if fishermen had the chance to have that experience and see the blue shark in that kind of way, whether they'd still want to, you know, carry on fishing them to the extent that they do. Um, but my next question, this comes from David, who is a second year zoology student. We actually put out for questions on social media. Um, and he wants to know if you can recall the first time you ever encountered a shark. Like it was yesterday, uh, mostly because it wasn't planned and I was way, way, way too young for it. <laughs> I, I think I was probably around about nine, uh, eight or nine years old. Um, I was away with my parents in Malaysia and I was absolutely obsessed with snorkeling. I just spent all day of every day in the water uh, and I can remember seeing this shark kind of come out of the blue and thinking, oh, that's the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. I've seen my first ever shark. And then realised that it wasn't going anywhere. And if anything, it was getting closer and going round and around me in tighter and tighter circles. And I panicked. I completely lost my mind. I clambered out of the, rock, out of the water onto a rock and sat there for about two hours until I got horrific sunburn. Um, and finally <laughs> got back into the water and swam. Swimming faster than Michael Phelps, I should say, as I, as I oh, got wow. to the coast. Um, and it was, a, it was a terrifying encounter and one that, you know, stuck with me for a very, very long time. Retrospectively, I know that that was a black tip reef shark. It was probably less than a metre long and of less danger to me than your average jam donut. And, and I, I guess that's kind of... That's kind of the thing. It, it shows how perception and residual fear can overcome and overwhelm all of our, you know, scientific and objective instincts. Um, fear is a very, very powerful thing. But, you know, it clearly didn't scare me that badly because sharks have become pretty much my, my life's obsession and fascination. Yeah, it didn't put you off too much. Uh, I mean, hindsight is a wonderful thing. Um, and it's really refreshing as well to hear that someone like yourself who, you know, has had this lifetime of adventures and has encountered, you know, all kinds of species in the wild, that you can still fear that 
feel that fear and it's a very human thing um, and one thing that I want to make quite clear when we're talking about these misconceptions of sharks and public perception of sharks is that we're not shaming anyone for being afraid of them or you know for feeling that fear because it's a very it's a very human thing isn't it it, it absolutely is um, I, I think it's also very important to say uh, up front I'm going to be talking an awful lot about the fact that sharks are not dangerous to us, but you have to take into account the fact that, you know, there are exceptions to those rules and that they're animals that have to be treated with enormous respect. So, you know, I am not for a millisecond saying that, that this is an animal that is not capable of, of you know, of a bite or of a, an attack. Um, and the kind of conversations that I will have with you sat here in the UK are very, very different to the kind of conversations that I'll have when I'm on tour in Australia, for example, where, you know, the perception of sharks is completely different to here and with good reason. Um, so I, I think that it's it's very important that we are as as thoughtful, as contemplative as we can be when we deal with this issue. There's way too much emotion, way too much fear mongering, um, and just way too much sort of hot headedness about the subject. And I think what we need to do is just be calm, look at the facts, and deal rationally with it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, um, and we, we do have an international audience, so there will be people listening to this who, you know, deal with different species to what we do in the UK, like you said. Um, and so I think that's a really good point is that it's all about that balance, achieving that balance of how we perceive sharks, but also sort of rationalizing how we feel towards them and recognizing, you know, how the media drives that. And that's what we're going to that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, and that brings us on really nicely to talking about your latest series for Sky, which is Shark with Steve Backshaw. Um, so aside from the obvious, can you explain to our listeners what the program is about and what the inspiration behind the program was? It's about sharks, and the inspiration was sharks. Is that enough? Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, this is going to sound so simplistic, but with this series, my my overwhelming um, desire was to make a series which never once mentioned any potential conflict between humans and sharks that never strayed towards demonizing sharks, that never talked about them in anything other than an inquisitive and interested light. Um, and that may sound like a very, very simplistic thing to be doing, and particularly now in you know 2022, to think that that, that could still be something revolutionary. It's pretty weird, isn't it? Um, but yes, we, we set out to talk as much about all the different kinds of sharks as we could. We would look to deal with the most out there species of sharks. We would look to deal with all the threats that they face uh, to deal with their, their evolution and their biology. Um, but most of all, I think to show them as being beautiful and, and, and fascinating and, and hope that the audience would tend to see them in those terms after having watched the series. And I love the idea of showing sharks as beautiful because they, they really are and they comes in, come in all different shapes and sizes, which the listeners of this podcast are, are, are very, uh, very used to, um, in fact. But, you know, the majority of the public don't see that. I mean, their, their idea probably of a shark is, you know, a great big toothy, great white, you know, powering through the water with blood in its mouth. That's usually the, the image that they see and they don't actually see the beauty behind them. Um, and so to you... Um, 
I'm sh I'm, I don't know if you can talk about this, but the, the series is already out, so I'm hoping you can. Um, but, you know, what were some of the most surprising discoveries for you on Shark? I think that, that for me, uh, you know, m most of the stories that we dealt with kind of came from, I guess, my, my research and my back catalogue. So they were less things that, that I, I guess, took me surprise from the big picture perspective. Um, we did have some, some really cool stories. We had an um, amazing story with um, flapper skate mermaids' purses in Scottish locks, which was extraordinary. You, you know, seeing this, this huge animal that faces so many different threats and then being down on the bottom of a, a, a lock and being surrounded by these giant mermaids' purses and being able to see the, the embryo inside, that was pretty special. I'd certainly never done that before. Um, and seeing, I guess, mating in, um, in, in several species of sharks, seeing reproduction right from, you know, the, the, the get-go, which is one of the most brutal things that I've ever seen in any animal, uh, through, to, through to actually being alongside the pups, having them right in front of me, and, you know, being able to see that whole transition taking part in one single environment, that was, that was pretty amazing. But... The thing that left the biggest impression from the from the filming was quite how many of the sharks, and particularly the pelagic ones that we dealt with, were were carrying hooks and lines and signs of negative encounters with us. And that's something that I've seen increase dramatically, particularly in the last five years. So, you know, right from when I made my first ever shark program in the year 2000 it's been a thing you know it's been something like you'd expect that if you went down on a on a dive where you see 30 or 40 individual sharks that one of them is going to be snagged but now i would say most scenarios that we're in you'd look at 30 or 40 percent of the animals having some kind of um you know visible evidence of a negative interaction with us and it feels like something that is increasing apace Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we just had an episode, we just recorded an episode last week um, about exactly that. So we had people, experts on in shark movements, and they were talking about how sharks are increasingly overlapping with fishing pressures. And of course, we all know that uh, fishing is one of the, is the greatest threat to sharks worldwide. Um, and so it's kind of no, it's, it's no surprise that we're seeing, you know, increased evidence of that interaction, but it is you know, shocking still to hear. Um, and a lot of people won't be seeing that. And that's, you know, the power of programs like Shock that we can show people that. And, and in actual fact, that kind of brings me on really nicely to my next question, because you actually get to free dive with sharks uh, in this series, you know, as opposed to scuba diving, where you have your, your tank and your regulator. Um, and one of my questions was, was this a different experience to when you're scuba diving, um, but you also had an encounter with a whale shark while you were free diving that kind of relates to that last question. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I, I, I mean, to be frank, free diving and uh, scuba or rebreather are, are night and day. The, the ability to just drop into the water and nothing more than your fins and have an encounter that is, I, I guess, it's the purest encounter, isn't it? It's one where you can move freely, where you are, are unencumbered. And I, I, I love it. I absolutely love any kind of interaction with animals where you're freediving as opposed to, to scuba, where you just feel like you're 
basically swimming around with a fridge on your back. Uh, particularly the, the way that we do it media. You're wearing a um, something like the, the the diveways mask. It's got a massive airspace in it, so you can you know have the mic and everything. And you've got different cords coming off you for your recorder and for your transmitter. And you have to have an extra pony cylinder for your bailout. And you can barely walk when you're on land in all this stuff. And it, it just it, it takes you from being a an animal that is completely out of their environment to one freediving that feels like it is you know if not completely at home as at home as a human can be and it, it makes a massive difference particularly with with mammals you see the difference in the way that mammals interact with you when you're freediving as opposed to you know blowing bubbles that there's just no comparison um, and it is pretty much the same with sharks as well there are some species that I think are best encountered freediving Oceanic white tips being the classic example. I'm really sorry about the super loud duck in the background. I hope we don't have to talk about it. Really amazing because it's going to ruin the mood. Seriously. It does say it sounded like it's laughing at you, which is quite funny. It does. This is this is the time of year when the when the ducks around here start getting fruity, and it can be pretty brutal. Mallards at when they're mating are a sight to behold, and it's not something you want to be trying to to explain to a child. Anyway, that, that was me getting distracted. Um, yeah, freediving is the best way for any, any marine encounter, it really is, unless you're talking about you know something down deep, obviously. Um, and working with oceanic white tip sharks, um, where you kind of need to be able to drop off the back of the boat when you see something, and it's quite difficult to get yourself set up on, um, on scuba, um, is, is really, really special. But they are one of those pelagic species of shark that we were finding, you know, trailing lines great big hooks in their mouths and we managed to untangle four or um you know get the hooks out or wow. just cut the line lines of four but that was a you know drop in the ocean tip of the iceberg it, it, it was nothing compared to how many we saw and it's a critically endangered species imagine how it would be if you know giant pandas were all wandering around with traps on their arms we'd start to take notice right and and this also is a critically endangered species so we should be worried about the fact that so many of them are at best just escaping the attentions of fishermen with a great line and hook trailing out their mouths mm. yeah oh that's that's horrifying to hear but you know you hit the nail on the head there is that because a lot of us don't have access to the sea or you know can't go down there every day and, and and see these sharks in real life, then it doesn't kind of register in the same way that, you know, seeing a forest getting cut down does or seeing terrestrial wildlife. Um, and, you know, that's why programs like this are so important to sort of show that and show actually how bad the situation is. Um, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit more detail. But before we get to that, I just want to ask one listener question that kind of also relates to how we use the water for recreation and how that might bring us into uh, contact with sharks in the wild. So Charlotte Finley from Instagram um, has asked about surfing and she says that she's always been nervous about surfing in sharky areas and she wanted to know whether there was sort of any any truth to that whether there was any reason why she should be afraid so uh, i mean the we're going to talk I, I guess about about shark attacks and the fact that statistically they are their numbers are so so low and particularly shark fatalities around the world um so it, it is not something that should unduly worry you if you are surfing off the Gower or the coast of Cornwall. 
However, it is one of the many risks that you would face if you were surfing off the coast of South Africa or, um, or off Western Australia. You know, it is something that you need to think about and there are, there are ways that you can make it more safe. If you're in an area that is that is known to have had shark attacks or to have had uh, sightings of big shark species like particularly tiger great white bull um, i would say think about it carefully you know do you do you need to be surfing at that particular break is it close to a seal colony or a sea lion colony um, is it at dusk and dawn in which case i i would say no i would i would steer away from it particularly during times when there is there is low light um, so studies have shown that um, particularly great whites will target silhouettes at the surface visually and particularly around about the times when light is is just on the cusp between night and day is the time when they could well make a mistake the silhouette of a surfer at the surface can look very similar to the silhouette of a large seal at the surface so be thinking about those things and include those in your general overall risk assessment of whether you would surf in one area as opposed to another. Um, that said, you know, you have to be aware of how few shark attacks there are worldwide. This is something that I, I've been talking about uh, since I made my very first shark conservation program in the year 2000. There are fewer than 10 shark attacks a year, uh, fatalities worldwide a year. And that makes it a very, very unlikely thing to be dying for, even if you're even if you're surfing. But there are ways that you can surf safely, and there are ways that you can put yourself at more risk. So you know, just just know that and include it in your risk assessment. You know, surfing is not a safe sport. People drown all the time from surfing. People get caught in rips. People get get smashed by big currents. People whack into reefs that they're surfing over. You know, th this is a sport where you have to think about. The, the many various risks all the time. Sharks are a small one of that. They're not, they're not, you know, insignificant, but but it's there. Yeah, absolutely. Like, don't let it stop you, but also be aware of where aware of the risks and sort of mitigate those risks. So I think in places like South Africa, they've got different coloured flags, for example, that can tell you what the status of sharks are in the area and whether white sharks have been seen. Um, so there are things that you can do, but absolutely there are. I think you're more at risk of dying of a jellyfish thing than you are of dying from a shark bite. You've got to also look at people's own perception of risk. So in, in all the places that I've gone to to film uh, great whites breaching, so the places, the places on earth where you are most likely to get that interaction of a shark breaching on a silhouette at the surface, we have always seen surfers right there at the break 100 meters away 200 meters away from where you're where you're filming sharks breaching on a decoy or on real seals um and you know they very rarely if ever get taken but i think they're nuts if you're a surfer well you could go to another bay why don't you go to another bay for goodness sake you, you know i mean it, it's it's a very very small risk but you can make it worse for yourself <laughs> The probability of encountering a shark could be high, but the probability of actually that being a negative interaction is can still be quite low. So yeah, but a great a great question. The development of drones has definitely helped us to to understand that better. It, it's something that we've seen both on this series and on other series that I've done as well. You put a drone up um, uh, over the top of a a, a shoreline, 
And you know, the, the classic is the black tip migration off the coast of Florida. There are people splashing around in the shallows, playing all kinds of games. And there are literally thousands of sharks migrating no more than 20, 30 meters away from them. They never see them. They never have any negative interaction with them. They just keep on swimming by. We've, we've done it off the coast of California. People are you know, playing with their dogs in the surf and there is a big great white just swimming past, couldn't be less interested, just meters away from them. Um, there are these close interactions all the time and the, the shark is using a whole suite of senses to be able to discern what is prey and what isn't. Um, where you are likely to get that being muddied is where, in some sense, its own senses are being clouded, whether that be by, by turbulent waters, whether it be in an estuary where the visibility is down very low, or like I say, whether it is at dusk or dawn where uh, light is occluding their, their, um, their visual acuity. Those are the times where you are more likely to have that, that accidental interaction. And so we're kind of already talking about this already, but what would you say are the most popular misconceptions of sharks? Do you know what? I, so like I said, I, I made my first um, shark conservation film in the year 2000. And back then I can remember, I was working with uh, uh, the um, famous legendary, um, sadly no longer with us, Dr. Sam Gruber in, uh, in Bimini in the Bahamas at Shark Lab. And it was the first time that I kind of had my awakenings to, you know, the statistics about shark attacks. I can remember looking up on the Florida shark attack file and seeing that there'd been something like two or three shark deaths the year before. And I was just gobsmacked. I just absolutely could not believe it was true. And, you know, came up with back then, I, I, I said, you know, there are more people killed by falling vending machines or by falling coconuts than there are by sharks. And all of the researchers at National Geographic I was working for at the time were like, that's nonsense. You can't say that. That can't possibly be true. And then they looked it up and went, oh, yeah, it is actually true. And <laughs> over the years that have passed, I've, I've developed that. And so it became, I think in about 2014, that stat came out that 12 people the year before had been killed by selfies. So from there on in, it was, there are more people killed by selfies, taking selfies than there are by sharks. And, I, you know, who knows what the next one will be. There will be more people killed by stationary than there are by sharks. Um, but I think, to me, the most disappointing thing um, but also the most important thing to realize is that I am still saying those exact same things 22 years on as I was then and I can sit here and have this conversation with you and your listeners who probably a good deal of them have already dived with sharks and already know a lot about them and probably some of them are marine biologists and what I'm saying now they're thinking seriously Steve you know d d tell us something you don't know but 99% of people in the world do not know this stuff. 99% of the responses that I get every time I do a program that is, you know, it is talking to something other than my peers, the, the reactions are all, I didn't know you could dive with a shark. I didn't know sharks weren't dangerous to us. I didn't know sharks were in trouble. They're things that simple. We live in a, in a bubble, don't we? Uh, you know, everybody that I'm sure you know, everyone that I know um, has either dived with a shark or would like to dive with a shark or know someone that has. And we take these things for granted, but this is not the norm. This is not how people around the world perceive sharks. Actually, the, 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 the language that is used to describe them hasn't changed at all since I started making programs in 2000. 
There was a, a, one in the Daily Mail just a couple of days ago, which was, you know, the absolute classic demonising sharks with absolutely no cause to. I had, I, I punctured an eardrum freediving with, with whale sharks on this last series. Whale sharks, for goodness sake. And the Daily Mail reported it as, as being me suffering from, a, from an encounter with a lethal shark. I mean, come on. So little about the conversation with sharks and the, the universal understanding of what a shark is and what a shark does and what it, how it threatens us has moved on at all. And while that is incredibly disappointing, it's, it's really, really important for us working in the media to know that and to understand that. Because, you know, this is something we still need to work even now to change um, because that's how it has to start. People are not going to be interested in trying to save an animal that they hate or they fear. First of all, they have to get over that and they have to know what the facts are and they have to see it as being beautiful. And so for the majority of your viewers, nothing I'm saying here is new. Nothing that's in my programs is going to be new to them. But they need to know that there's a whole bunch of people, millions of people out there who are not yet advocates, who are not yet on side that we have to bring on. And we still have to do that the old fashioned way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had another headline from the sun that actually one of our listeners asked us about um which was to do with tiger sharks and you know the potential for tiger sharks to be coming to uk waters because of global warming but the headline did, did you see oh this God, yeah I, I wanted to scream when i it's so frustrating um and so they were they were kind of asking you know how how can we as people who were in the know you know how can we sort of change the narrative around sharks? Call them out, I say. They need to be called out. And, you know, journalists, some of them don't care. Some of them just want the copy. But but some of them, you know, some of them care about getting things factually right. Some of them have bosses who care about it being factually right. So shout about it, scream about it, bite back. Actually have a, a, a fantastic campaign, uh, Mind Your Language which is all about doing just that. Get as many people as you can in the public eye, writing back going, it's a whale shark, it eats plankton, it, it, it is not gonna harm you. It's a basking shark. Stop talking about it being a, a menacing monster when someone has the privilege oh, of paddling yes, past it yeah. on a paddleboard. You know, just let these people know that it's not acceptable to write about animals that way, that it is factually incorrect and that they are not doing their job as a journalist by doing that. Most of the time, they, they won't care at all. And the Daily Mail and the Daily Star will carry on writing any nonsense they can about animals if it, it sells copy. But there are plenty of journalists out there who know that eventually there will be repercussions if they, if they say the wrong things, factually incorrect things too. Mm -hmm. I think we also need to flip the balance a little bit so the more people that are calling these articles out and the more people that are you know publishing articles that are just as interesting and just as attention grabbing you know about the, the threats that sharks face and how amazing sharks can be I mean that's the whole reason behind this podcast is to sort of change that narrative a little bit um, and, and I also feel that this is this is an area genuinely where the media can help I think that in most conservation situations the media is just taking a wee in the wind. There is so little that we can do to actually affect the outcomes. But I've always believed that with sharks, we can get people on side. We can uh, we can intoxicate people with the idea that swimming along sharks is something that they might want to do. And the second you've done that, all of a sudden you have created a potential advocate. I mean, that's something that 
Shark does so beautifully is just showcase these animals as they should be seen. So, you know, with awe, with wonder. Um, and I wanted to ask as well, but this links us on quite nicely to a question that we got from Emma, who is a third year biology student at the University of Portsmouth. Um, hello, Emma. Uh, she's kind of asked this question about UK seas, but I think it also applies internationally as well and it's a slightly different angle to what we've just been talking about which is you know using the media as a tool to change the narrative about sharks so she asks um what can we as citizen scientists do to encourage the government to put stronger protections in place for sharks which i think is a really good question it's a fantastic question emma thank you so so much and i'm i'm so glad that i can i can talk to you about this at a time, at a specific time, when it, it really seems like um, the pressure that's been put on government has started to take effect. So uh, working together with charities like Bite Back and, uh, and Shark Trust, um, there have been big movements. And the, the um, first of all, ban on the um, uh, personal allowance of fins in and out of the UK, working towards an eventual total ban on shark fin in the UK, is a massive win for conservation. It's, it's, you know, ultimately, will it have a huge amount of effect on the amount of sharks that are taken worldwide? That remains to be seen. But it, in, a, in a world where conservation wins are so few and far between, this is one where the public and the charities representing one particular group of animals got their way. And they did it through petitions and from pressure and through finding the right kind, the, the, the right individual politicians. I mean, I, I talked to um, four uh, in a row secretaries of state for the environment about this issue before finally, you know, we got it in front of uh, Zach Goldsmith and George Eustace and even further up the tree than them um, to be able to actually affect change. And the great thing about that is that it, it proves it works and that, you know, endless signing of petitions and endless, as you say, citizen science work can have positive outcomes. And the great thing about that is that that is going to bring loads and loads more people on board because they're going to think, I could do something. That, that's empowering, isn't it? It's it put the tools for change back into our hands. Um, so um, I've completely forgotten what your individual, your original question was. So I got so excited about that. No, you, you, you answered do, it. Yeah. They're... What we can do is we can all join hands. We can all work together with the other people who, who think the same way that we do. Um, and, and the best way of doing that really is is to ally yourself with one of the um, one of the NGOs that is working towards these ends. You know, the the wins that we have had here in this country prove that we we do all have a voice we do all have the power to affect change so don't give up get stuck in emma i really hope that you you um conclude your degree uh, maybe as i just done carry on even further and uh you know in, in 20 years time i could be saying well look what emma didn't achieve she's made a massive difference let's all follow her Oh, I'm sure she's like, I'm sure she's absolutely thrilled to hear that. And that'll spur anyone on to, to carry out their degree. Um, but yeah, such a lovely message as well, because I think um, as an individual, you can always feel somewhat powerless, but we do have power. So one of my final questions is in shock, uh, you talk about some pretty uncomfortable truths when it comes to 
how humans have an impact on sharks. And I think that plays in really well to how we need to change that narrative from sharks as something that humans need to fear to humans being something that sharks need to fear. Um, And so what truths would you most like the public to hear and understand? Oh, that's that is a sensational question. It's the question, isn't it? It, It's it's the real biggie because there are so many issues around uh, around sharks. And over the years, we found ourselves getting sidetracked because we've always wanted to tell a new story. And it's always been, okay, so how do we, how do we tell the story about, about squalene and, and about how it's used in, in cosmetics? How do we tell the story about, about bycatch and about how, uh, you know, that's having a big effect on, on different species and on, you know, tropic cascades and blah, 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 blah. Truth is, we, we are still now at a situation where the vast majority of the world's people just need to know that sharks are awesome and they're in trouble. And if it sounds like a massive cop-out to say that, I I just have to tell each and every one of your listeners, the world is not full of people like you. Um, It always just kind of completely blows my mind every single time we do something, particularly in prime time. You know, when we did did Blue Planet Live, um, it was in the Strictly spot on on a Saturday afternoon on BBC One. And so the kind of people that were, were tuning in were not all marine biology undergrads. They were the kind of people who would normally be watching EastEnders. Nothing wrong with that, you know. But they were probably hearing about sharks in a different way, other than, you know, as being, like you said earlier on, great whites with, with blood dripping from their teeth. They were hearing about them in a different way for the first time. And particularly my social media just lit up with people saying, I had no idea sharks were beautiful. And that simple thing is what we in the media can do. It's the one thing that we do best. And, you know, the countless Instagram profiles of people, you know, freediving alongside sharks, looking utterly beautiful and glamorous as they do it. You know, you can, you can have a certain amount of scorn towards those if you want, but they will be bringing on tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of young people who now will think that sharks are the coolest thing in the world. That, I think, is one thing that we all can do. We can, we can change the perception of this animal. We can make it something that has an allure that is uh, just exciting. And that's what I think we should be trying to do. So we are coming to the end of our interview um so i just have two final questions for you um the first one is what is coming next for you so i know you're about to head off on a big tour so do you want to talk about that yeah so i've got a tour entitled ocean aptly enough which is going to be happening around uh the uk in april and the beginning of may as well and it's going to be Um, a real extravaganza, a real show. We're going to be bringing to life the greatest marine extremes that our planet can offer. Uh, There are going to be stunts and tricks and techniques, and there are going to be life-sized marine ocean giants. Uh, It's going to be, I hope, quite something. 
Um, it's nearly sold out already, which I can't quite believe, but if anyone is keen to go, you, you need to get on it really, really quick because the, the tickets are nearly gone. Yeah, we will put a link to that in the show notes too. Um, and what are the next series for you, if you can talk about them? Yes, yeah, so I've got another series of Deadly, which will be uh, going out in the spring. That's my uh, kids' wildlife series. Um, and then I have a big conservation passion project that I've been working on for uh, uh, the last couple of years, which um, I don't want to say too much about at this stage, but it's it's the biggest thing on my radar um, and that will be that'll be coming up maybe I'll come back on your podcast uh, in another year or so and tell you about that yes please do oh well well best of luck with that and I'm very much looking forward to hearing about it whenever you can talk about it um, but our final question we've arrived at the end of the podcast uh, you'll be pleased to know um, and our final question is a very serious question it's a very big question um, and it is one that we ask every single guest on this podcast. And that is, if you could be any species of shark and ray in the world, what would you be and why? Uh, that is really big and really serious, isn't it? Um, <laughs> what would I be? Um, I, think I, I, I have only once underwater encountered a mako. And um, we had, we had two or three actually, and they were they were so exciting, and they moved in such a dynamic, twitchy way. It was like seeing the shark equivalent of a a, a top end sports car. Um, very very different to to I mean you know physically not that dissimilar to I guess a poor beagle or a salmon shark, but just the attitude of the animal, the way that it moved that sense that it could kick into, you know, tuna-like speed, sailfish-like speed with just one flick of its tail was so impressive. Um, and I, I was really, really impressed, deeply impressed by the animal. Um, and physically, you know, they're, they're just perfectly hydrodynamic. They have their teeth spilling out of their mouth. They look like a turbocharged speedster. Um, and so I am going to go with... A short fin mako. Nice. You'd feel pretty badass as a short fin mako. I must agree. Well, that was a brilliant answer and it has been so, so lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for giving up some of your time to come on the podcast. Um, I'm definitely going to keep the laughing duck in uh, because I like the fact that you were on location <laughs> with wildlife. <laughs> but yeah, Steve, thank you so much. Yeah, being heckled by the wildlife. Seriously. I mean, come on. Do they know I spent my life working with animals? <laughs> I wouldn't expect any less. It was very on brand. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Steve. You're very, very welcome. Thank you. The Whole Tooth is a podcast brought to you by the Save Our Seas Foundation. It is hosted and edited by me, Isla Hodgson. Our beautiful artwork is by Nicola Poulos. And the wonderful jingle you can hear right now is by David Knight. If you like this episode, be sure to rate, review and subscribe. This means so much to us and helps us to spread the word about how awesome sharks are. And if you would like one of your questions answered on the podcast or you just want to say hi, please feel free to email us on isla at saveourseas.com. 
A huge thank you to Steve for giving up so much of his time to chat to us on the podcast and answer all of our audience questions and to you at home for listening. Have a awesome week and we'll see you next time.